It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The biggest breaking news stories. An outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley-Brewer on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. Thank you very, very much indeed for joining me. Uh, it's a, <laughs> I'd love to say it's a pleasure to be back. Um, but you know, you know me. I am painful amounts of honesty. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say that lying on a beach... In Antigua is better than being at work. I'm, I'm sorry it is. Uh, those of us who were lucky enough to get away, uh, as I did, um, genuinely hours before uh, new restrictions came in, didn't know they were coming in, announced while I was on air, but um, didn't stop the, uh, the the Twitter haters, of course, complaining about that. Um, but uh, no, I am back and back with a vengeance. A renewed vigour to, well, just do my best, my tiny, tiny, small little best to provide some sanity uh, amidst the madness and to uh, try and fight uh, the latest lunacy of more school closures, more lockdown measures, because if lockdowns uh, don't work, then we have to have more lockdowns. Genuinely, the definition of insanity to keep trying to do the same thing again and again and expect something different to happen. So we're going to be talking about all aspects of that all this morning, lots to talk about. And because I was away and misty, the joy that was the end of the transition period uh, uh, post-Brexit and the final release from the shackles of the EU. We'll also have a little bit of a, a chat about Brexit as well later in the show. So lots to talk about. Delighted that all this morning I'm going to be joined by freelance journalist and commentator Benedict Spence. Good morning and Happy New Year to you, Benedict. Good morning, Happy New Year, and welcome back. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, it was, I mean, I can tell that you're so unhappy to be back, but I'm happy that you're back, at least, and so are the listeners. I'm very, very, very happy to be back on air, and, and I have to say, a huge big thank you to Mark Dolan, who stood in uh, magnificently uh, over the two weeks I was away, doing a fantastic job. Bit, bit worried. He did rather too good a job, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe I thought people don't want me back. Um, but um, Benedict, I mean, this is the first day back at work for most people after the the New Year. I was going to say the New Year's celebrations after sitting having a takeaway <laughs> at home uh, on New Year's Eve um, and a lot of people obviously they're expecting kids to go back it's, it's one of those strange 
inset days, although every day seems to be an inset day for schools these days um, today, but lots of people expecting their kids to go back to school uh, this week. Well, they're not. Mostly they're going to be going back, it would seem, uh, in a week's time or in two weeks' time. And frankly, realistically, if I had to put money on it, I'd reckon pretty much all schools are going to be closed uh, probably mm. until half term, which is what Jeremy Hunt, uh, the former health secretary, uh, is reckoning. Um, lots of people expecting to go out to work. No, they're in a tier four lockdown, uh, being told they should work from home. Um it's a very grim start to the new year, isn't it? It is. I mean, after all the sort of the, the, the wishes for a happy new year and that 2021 might be distant, uh, different, it's almost as if 2021 is just like a mutant strain of 2020. <laughs> it's, it, it seems to be just the same, but actually slightly on steroids. Everything's coming at us even faster. Um, I think, realistically... I mean, the next couple of weeks, I think, are going to see an awful lot of people very upset with everything that how how everything's being handled. But to my mind, actually, the thing that sort of stands out at me isn't so much that we're having a third national lockdown. That's bad enough in itself. But I think a lot of people expected because, you know, that was the first and second approach. So why would this government go for a different approach in terms of curbing the spread of the virus? It's not so much that it's another lockdown per se. It's that once again, there seems to be a real lack of of planning in place for this lockdown. We're nine months on from the first one, and we don't seem to have learnt the lessons, if there were lessons to learn from the first two, for this one. And I think that's what's going to frustrate people even more than the lockdown itself. It's the last-minute announcements and the constant U-turns, even Mm. on Friday. About, I mean, frankly, I was trying to write notes about what the situation was with different schools in different areas today, and I'd used up a whole sheet of A4 by the end of it, because it's so complicated. Genuinely, I've got no idea whether your school's going back this week or not, but then probably neither does the head teacher as well. Um, but you say lack of planning. Surely the thing we should have learned from lockdowns is that lockdowns don't work. I mean, they do work if you want to trash the economy, uh, lose people jobs, uh, make businesses collapse, uh, make sure that it, certainly with school closures, children don't get any lessons and their lives are ruined for years on uh, and you want people not to get cancer treatment. You, want, you can add all of that up. There's no doubt at all that lockdowns work to do that. But But if lockdowns worked in terms of stopping the spread of the virus... Then, then, then they'd have worked by now, wouldn't they? The, the issue mm. always seems to be, oh, well, the lockdown didn't work because it wasn't strict enough. Or the lockdown, and even though countries, say, like Peru or, or Spain, had massively stricter lockdowns than we ever did. And, and they've got some of the most sky-high cap per capita death rates in the world. Um, but also the, the idea that, um, that you know, the lockdown doesn't work, then it's because of the people who aren't obeying the rules. So I get constantly saying, oh, you're not obeying the rules. I obey the letter of the law because I have to. Uh, I mean, certainly in my job. Uh, I, if, I, if I was tempted to break the law, uh, I'd be very, very foolish to do so. I doubt I'd ever be on air again. But, um, you know, I don't endorse people breaking laws. I, I endorse people trying to get the laws changed when they're stupid, which these laws are. Um, but but this, this is the thing. This is constant idea that there are all these awful people who are breaking the laws and that's why these lockdowns don't work. Who, who are all the people breaking the law? I mean, I, I, I was out on the streets yesterday for a walk, barely anyone out. Virtually everyone I saw was like a couple walking down the street, clearly just taking an afternoon walk because nothing else they can do. You know, there's no one in the shops more than need to be in the shops, in the essential shops. There's no, there's no bars or restaurants open. There weren't any loud parties. I couldn't see people in, you know, gathering in their rooms. Who are all these people breaking the rules, these mythical people? I mean, there was one, I think there was one party in, in, in Essex, wasn't there, where a load of people broke into a church, and that seemed to be, that seemed to get the, the whole nation's lockdown rule-breaking, you know, sort of out in one go. Uh, that was doing uh, big numbers on social media. But the funny thing is, I actually think, 
telling this government that's already introduced two lockdowns that lockdowns don't work is a bit like telling a US administration that an intervention in the Middle East doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't matter what evidence you have, they're going to do it anyway. So if you're starting here from my perspective, the slightly weary and cynical perspective, which is saying, well, it's going to happen anyway, you're kind of thinking, well, at the very least, you could be trying to make people's lives a little easier. You could be planning ahead. You could be making the, the regulations a little clearer. You could be having a plan in place, for example, for schools, which are obviously going to close. You know, the government's coming out and saying, oh, well, it's safe to go back to school when they know full well actually everything is going to be closed. You know, th- there has been no forethought to any yeah. of this. And that, I think, is the real slap in the face. Given that it is already decided nine months ago that lockdowns are the route it's going to go down, yeah. you have to then say, well, this is how we're going to make it easier. And they just haven't. No, indeed. And, and again, for Boris Johnson to go on the Andrew Marsh show yesterday and do a long-form uh, interview in which he said that schools are safe... And, yes. and, and that's only two days after actually closing a whole load of schools uh, in, in London Tier 4, say primary schools. Well, we know, I mean, we know perfectly well that, that, that you know, children that age aren't at risk themselves and that they're, they're not only do they not get ill, they don't pass the risk to each other, they also don't pass it home. I mean, there's a lot of uh, studies out, or these reports out, and people sharing them online, pointing out that, oh, but all these, all these parents, you know, they, they're getting the infection from their children. We have no idea where people have got these infections from. The argument that schools are these terribly dangerous places and the teaching unions, some of them complaining that that teachers are are highly at risk. The stats are really clear. There's a SAGE report from the 4th of November. It looked at the moment the schools returned in early September to mid-October, so a six-week period, and it found absolutely no increase in teachers by profession, so having the virus uh, over that period as opposed to over the summer when they weren't in schools at all. I mean, there, there is no higher risk to teachers in their workplace than there is to, say, me in my workplace or, or someone working in a supermarket. And like that. So so this is that's just nonsense. Teachers aren't at risk. Um, and then, then and people are often confusing, I think, causation and correlation. The idea that, well, someone's got the virus and it was the kid that tested positive first. Well, yeah, because that's because if you so much as cough at school, you get sent home and told to get a test. And it's easy to get a test for a kid on, on the NHS on that basis. So, of course, kids are getting tested for COVID. What a surprise. We're then finding out that kids have got COVID. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily where it's being spread. Because if that were the case, every time a kid had coronavirus at school, dozens and dozens of children would get coronavirus in their year, in their bubble, mm. and the teachers and the families as well. And that's not what happens. Of course, there have been outbreaks. By the way, you only need two cases in a school for it to be termed an outbreak. Uh, but, but if it were the case that it was being spread like wildfire around schools, we would see dozens and dozens of pupils every time one kid tests positive, also testing positive, and they don't. I mean, do you, do you know what the funny thing is? I don't blame the teachers' unions for this. I don't. Again, I blame the government. No, I am more than happy to weigh in on the state of education in this country on almost any other day. But on this thing, again, I'm going to go back and say the government has had nine months experience of this, if you like. And it should have seen this fight coming. It should have seen this coming. And once again, it hasn't prepared for it. Now, there are many ways, I think, actually, that you could have got around this. You know, there are approximately 400 to 450,000 teachers and teaching staff in this country where, you know, you could have given them all the vaccine plus every sort of ambulance driver and everybody else in one day as their first dose. And you could almost, as it were, have nipped this in the bud by then doing things like bringing half term and summer holidays forward and Easter holidays forward. And actually, you would have avoided this issue you know whether or not actually you know that these are massive spreaders of the disease 
is sort of irrelevant. You could have avoided this fight with the unions by being practical and having a plan no, in no, place. That's the fact is that no, they haven't. No, you can't. Well, OK, the view. government has been totally gone, but you can't avoid the fight with the unions because particularly the National Education Union, which is the majority uh, union uh, for teachers in this country, uh, you, because they will always take the fight further. And that's the thing. People are always constantly thinking, if you've just, you're on the lockdown issues, well, if you concede on this or concede on that, then then it'll be fine. No, that's just not how it works because, because they will always demand more. If you had teachers getting the vaccine, teachers who are aren't in already in a vulnerable category or, or, or you know, se- over 70. I don't think there are many over 70. Um, then, although they all look like they were over 70 when I was at school, um, then, then you're simply allowing sort of, you know, a sharp-elbowed, well-represented middle-class professionals to jump the queue over more needy people. Teachers, unless they're in a vulnerable category, well, don't need the vaccine ahead of, you know, um, you know anyone's elderly grandparents. Well, you say that, but actually, should children actually be having their education curtailed for even longer than it's currently been? This is but, the but, this is the no. This is the trade-off that you have to make: is that education is perhaps the one area where you can see the immediate economic and social impacts, and you can see the long-term ones sort of in action. And whether we like it or not, teachers are the people that are in charge of children. You know, you know children are a vulnerable category legally, by definition, they're a vulnerable category, not because they're more likely to get the virus. Excuse me. But for almost every other aspect of their life, they need to be supervised. They need to be educated. So, you know, if we're going to entrust our future to these people, you do ever so slightly put yourself over a barrel when the teachers then say, well, we want X, Y, Z to be done. And if you don't do this, then you are going to risk your children's futures. And the thing is, the government don't have a leg to stand on if they then say, no, no, this is all totally fine. Oh, but by the way, it isn't fine, and we're going to be closing the schools. Yeah. Then it looks like incompetence, and I think they lose a well, lot of trust. From it doesn't the look like incompetence, Benedict. It, it looks in, like incompetence. Yeah, yeah. It oh, is yes. incompetence. Yeah. It's, it's yes, crucial. Yes. Just finally, <laughs> um, I mean, uh, Keir Starmer, of course, coming out with, "Oh, there needs to be a lockdown in twenty-four hours." I mean, every single announcement oh, that yes. man makes is all. <laughs> I mean, never. Whenever the government, whenever you think the government's doing badly, like, no, no, don't worry, the opposition will be worse. But, but he, 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 he basically always calls for something. He thinks is pretty likely to happen anyway, and then he can say, "Told you, told you this should have happened, and I said it should have happened sooner." I mean, I can't think of a single thing, the single policy he's not done that on. My word, he's brilliant, isn't he? He's got the answer for everything, albeit two weeks after everything should have happened. But you know, he a political genius, you know, a master <laughs> operator. I mean, the thing is, though, he has sadly he's got this art down to a T, which is just don't say anything racist or overtly communist and criticize the government, and it's a winning formula, and it's something that sadly the previous Labour uh, administration didn't quite manage to work out. But, you know, it's nice to see that they're learning from experience, at least. Intelligent life is meant to do that. There is that. The only thing that I ever console myself with when every time I see news, and even when I was lying on the beach thinking, oh, my God, how much madder has my country become, was it could have been worse. Jeremy Corbyn could have been prime minister. I mean, just just everyone, just for a moment, while we're going to take an update on the travel, just think for a moment, it's bad, it's insane, it's incompetent. It could have been Jeremy Corbyn doing it. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.